0: that's of really close to home and is challenging to speak from, but um, I, I'm just encouraged by t- my time of worship with all of you. I really love the time of singing and just praising Jesus because really, while I can convey to you or someone can convey to you how you can be peacemakers and, and bridge builders, um, really, Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, right? Uh, Jesus is the one who bridged the divide between God and man and between us and our brothers and sisters, Amen. It's to Him who belongs all glory, and He alone has all the power to work within us to be those peacemakers. So we're going to uh, talk about that today. Uh, so I'm going to read just a, a few, a couple verses, and then we'll walk through uh, the main passage. So our first verse uh, section is Ephesians chapter two, verses thirteen through fifteen. Ephesians two, thirteen through fifteen in the NIV. And then I am going to jump to our main passage, which is Acts chapter 10. I'll just read to you verse 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. This is Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Amen. Sorry, Presbyterian. I'm Presbyterian by training, and we normally do that. Humor me. Thanks be to God. And you say, uh, yeah, I, now I got it messed up. I'll just pray because we need the Holy Spirit, okay? Father God, we thank you for this this morning. Thank you for this time that we can uh, hear from you. Lord, I pray that you will move me out of the way, Lord God, and speak uh, by your Holy Spirit. Soften our hearts, challenge us. Lord God, where our hearts are hard, soften them. Where our ears are hard of hearing, open them up, Lord. And where our eyes are blind, open them so that we might see wonderful things in your law. Lord Jesus, um, we love you, Lord. You are our peacemaker. Show us what that means and what that looks like for us practically, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So in my ministry, uh here in Seattle, has gone through various number of phases and iterations. And uh, at one point, I was a church planner in the Central District, just north of here. And uh, my wife and I, we, we worked through our cafe. And then we eventually, uh, we made a lot of partnerships with different organizations, not mostly non-Christian organizations, and, uh, and did lots of work to provide jobs for youth and do different programming throughout the neighborhood. And then eventually, we, we started... To church plant now. I, I'm a Presbyterian minister by trade. I don't. I don't serve at a Presbyterian congregation anymore. But uh, I didn't grow grow up. I grew up kind of in a multi kind of traditions. I didn't go to one church all the time. And I eventually ended up in a Presbyterian denomination where I'm the only African American pastor in five states out here, and uh, in the Pacific Northwest Presbytery. And um, so my my mother church was a, a very, uh, very white, Anglo congregation in North Seattle, um, but I was ministering in the Central District, which historically is an African American, uh, you know, multi-ethnic community. And so we started planting the church, and as soon as we started planting the church, I was anticipating that a lot of the people of color that I had spent a few years getting to know that they would want to be a part of the church, they're like, no, Pastor Jason, we, we we like you, but we don't like church. You know, we'll come to the cafe, um, but we're not necessarily you know down with church yet. So I ended up getting more people who who weren't from the neighborhood, largely white congregants that knew that knew of us who were we were friends with already, who came to be a part of our our um, our community. And then part of, uh, part of the early parts of that of that ministry is we also my wife and I moved into a house and we welcomed people into our home to live with us and It was at one point you know during the holiday season that one of our boarders came to live with us and uh, and you know, I'm I trying to be hospitable, my wife and I, and, and, and share our lives. We're going to have a c- community living situation. And so, the border, and so, you know, out of my magnanimous, you know, generous spirit, you know, come live with us. And this is what the gospel calls us to do. And it was near Christmas time. And, you know, during Christmas time, I look forward to a few desserts. I don't know about you, but I look forward to lemon custard pie. Anyone like lemon custard pie? Anybody? There we go. There we go. All right. Good, okay, we're all part of the same family, see? So, lemon custard pie, and I love lemon custard pie. I think it was a lemon custard pie, because I normally get really intense about my lemon custard. But uh, I remember, by, by the grace of God, my wife made me this pie, I had the slice. It was like I was raptured, you know? If any of you, you know, from that tradition in Christianity about the rapture, I was caught up to the third heaven, and I, and I was enjoying my pie. Um, but the thing is, is, I just don't want one slice of lemon custard pie. Right, kids? My children are right here. Right? I want multiple pieces of the pie. right? But I'm in a shared living context. I'm a pastor. It's about the gospel. I'm supposed to be hospitable. Right? But all of a sudden, I start sweating because I want more pie. But the more we have friends over, the more my border is here and he wants a pie, and whenever I'm cooking, he wants to come in and ask me what I'm cooking, and it's testing me, okay? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's, it feels really lonely up here right now, okay? All right, and I, and I feel myself resistant, even though I, I'm, I'm hospitable to a point I'm not hospitable to the full scope of what God has put in my plate, right? Even I should be willing to share, not just roof over my head with my border. I should be able to s- share even something as trivial as a dessert. And I realized that the, it wasn't the, the borders problem. It was the borders of my heart that needed to be torn down. You See that word play there? It wasn't my borders problem. It's the borders of my heart needing to be t- torn down. Okay, I just want to make sure you're following. all right? Well, that, well, Jesus needed to tear down the borders of my heart. Uh, we worship a God uh, from the book of Ephesians who says that Jesus, in his death on the cross, he tore down the, the borders, the walls that separated Jew and Gentile. No one ever taught me that when I was uh, an early Christian. I thought that the cross just helped me with my relationship with God. I didn't really think that the, that the gospel addressed race until I went to seminary and they explicitly said that. In my classes, that actually a lot of the problems that we see in the New Testament literature is that the Jews were told to obey, and and Jesus says at the beginning of Acts, I want you to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And yet the early church, they said, Yeah, we Amen, Amen, Pastor Jesus. We sure wish you would stick around with us, but you know, see ya. He goes up to heaven, and what did they do? They stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go to Samaria, and they didn't go to the ends of the earth. They were hospitable to a point, but not to the full extent of what God had for them. And Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says he tore down in his flesh the wall, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile with his own death on the cross. You and I are like Me with that lemon custard pie, right? We think that the blessings of the Lord are a zero-sum game, right? There's only so many slices of pie, right? I got to get my pie, my sense of belonging, my sense of peace, my sense of joy, my salvation, and enjoy it just within myself and my family and my community. It's a zero-sum game. I got to get as many slices as I can. And yet God is gracious. He's been gracious to you. And he wants you to let that graciousness spill out to people who are different from you. That's, that was my challenge in my home was, man, okay, God's been good to me. I've had one slice of pie. Why not share it with my neighbor who's different from me, right? And that's what the Lord wants to do with each and every one of us. The problem is, and the problem we'll see in our text, is that we, we think that God's salvation, the life that he offers, offers us in Jesus Christ, is a zero-sum game of limited resources. And I've got to get as much as I can. And I'm slow to move out in obedience to the Lord. Are you tracking with me? You know what this is like. You, yourself, and your family, interpersonally, you are, have broken relationships with family members and friends. Maybe some of you feel self-righteous or you feel like you've been oppressed or wronged and you are, are slow to, to offer forgiveness. Actually, there's enough love for you to be forgiven and for your husband to be forgiven or your mom to forgive you or your family, for you to forgive your family. Or it happens racially, Right. There's, there's, there's your community, but then there's the white community, there's the black community, there's the Latino community. God has enough love for each, each of us to have a slice of the pie together. But the problem is, is we huddle up, as Dr. King says, at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the, of the week, right? We all huddle together in our, our little silos, our enclaves. Yet the gospel says to go out. Go out to the ends of the earth. So we're going to unpack this a little bit uh, through walking through Acts chapter 10. What I find is one of the most curious and interesting uh, texts in uh, the book of Acts. Uh, some of what informed my uh, message to you today, just for just for nerds. Okay, so this is nerd time. I'm kind of a Bible nerd, but uh, a theology guy. Cultural Intelligence for a Changing Church, Sung Chan Ra, alright, a Korean brother out of Boston. Some of you may have read some of his things. Uh, this is a really good book on cultural intelligence. Uh, this one is a little dense. He has some uh, more, um, more practical books, but Miroslav Volf's Exclusion and Embrace, which is also a really good book as well as Henry Nouwen's in the name of Jesus. So you can pick those up. uh, Ask me about them afterwards if you like. I might reference them throughout the passage. So let's just walk through together. I like walking through the passage. Is that okay? All right, Acts chapter 10. Peter and the apostles have been given this mandate. Go to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And yet Acts 1 through 9 tells the story of the Jews going to the Jews. I'm a comic book dude, and uh, there used to be this cartoon called Tiny Toons, and uh, Tiny Toons cartoons, there was a, a character pretending he was Batman, and he wanted to join the Justice League, and the Justice League said, no, it's not the Justice League, it's the Just Us League. You don't have superpowers, so you can't be a part of our group, and that's essentially the summary of Acts 1 through 9, you didn't know that, did you? All right, 1 through 9 was kind of like the just us, right? Just the Jewish people. Yet the Lord is the great evangelist. The Lord is the great wall breaker. He's the peacemaker. And he is the great evangelist who's going to bring about salvation to every tribe and tongue. He has to nudge Peter into obedience. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, who told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. The Lord uh, doesn't have the angel preach the gospel to Cornelius. But he does send Cornelius in answer to prayer, and that's kind of my first point to to you is that the Lord is this great peacemaker, and how does he do it? He does it by answering the prayers of the other. Even if you are commanded to go and spread the gospel and do what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, that's okay because the Lord's going to make you do it anyway. (laughs) The Lord's going to do it, and he's going to begin the process even before you get there. I am familiar with some of your ministry across the street to Dearborn Park Elementary. Wonderful avenue of ministry that you're doing there. Before you showed up, right, God was already working in the heart of the principal there. God was already working on behalf of those who are different from you, right? Amen? God is already working. He answers the prayer of the other. I'm a history teacher by trade. Obviously, I, like Pastor Roy mentioned, I taught at Cleveland High School a little, about 12 years ago, and I taught the kids about Seattle local history. I talked about how the Central District was one of the few places where African Americans and Japanese Americans, Latino Americans could live in, in the city um, because of restricted covenants and, and, um, and racism throughout the city of Seattle. And I talked about, because I was on Beacon Hill, I told the story of Beacon Hill, how it was called Boeing Hill until the 50s and 60s, and then uh, many of the Chinese and Filipino uh, uh, residents moved into the area. And as is the tale of many inner cities, a lot of the white people fled out of Beacon Hill. And we talked about how these communities were stuck here. You couldn't live, if you were Chinese or Filipino, you couldn't live up in Green Lake. You couldn't live up in Laurelhurst. If you were African-American, you couldn't live uh, in other parts of the city. You were stuck here. And yet, God blessed these communities to be resilient, for there to be activists and community leaders that led the way for the Chinese, Filipino, African-American communities in the 1960s. God heard the cries of the people of injustice, and there were people here who stood up in the gap, in the midst of racism. God always hears the voice of the other. The thing is, is that you and I, as God's people, are slow to realize that. But God is still active as our evangelist, and he hears the cries of those who are different from us, who are oppressed, who are ostracized and left out. He hears their voice and answers their prayers. I praise God that he heard my prayer when I was the other. He heard my prayers. He's heard your prayers. And if he has done that, then we ought to be sensitive to the plight of others around us. The story continues. Verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. That's Greek for he fell asleep while he was praying. Okay, let's just keep it real, all right? Anybody get up early in the morning, you start praying, and you fall into a sleep. Anybody happen to eat? Okay, that happens to me, all right? Or suddenly, I get hungry in the midst of praying. So that's why I love this story, right? It's so real. Peter's up there. He's holy. He's an apostle. He knows Jesus personally, and yet he's falling asleep while he's praying, and he's hungry. I don't blame the guy. So he's up there on the roof, and he they're preparing a meal for him, something nice and kosher. And he saw heaven open, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four cor- corners. In it contained all types of four-footed Animals, as well as reptiles and birds. There were snakes. There was shrimp. There was pulled pork sandwiches. There's all types of things that Jewish people don't eat. And that's just cold, man. That's just wrong. Jesus is just messing with them. Three times he brings the sheet down to Peter, and Peter says, Surely not, Lord. And now that I am telling you the truth now, in the Greek it, it means... Uh, not someone, or as in vernacular, we say in uh, black culture, or maybe young, young, you all say this, I am not the one, right? I'm not the one, <laughs> all right? Not this dude, all right? I'm not the one. I'm not going to eat that stuff. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him, saying, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. What is the Lord doing to Peter here? He's, getting, he's challenging him not about his diet, He's challenging him about the things that go underneath his practices to his beliefs, to his judgments, to his biases. The second thing, besi- the first thing was, is that God is the great evangelist who answers the prayer of the other. The second thing is God is, is the one who, who hounds us, hounds us to challenge our biases. He's hounding Peter here. He gives us the same vision three times over. He hounds Peter, and he's challenging his biases and his prejudice, the internal things. Sung Chan Ra talks about this in his book on cultural intelligence. He talks about how it's somewhat easy to change your external practices. Oh, well, we we, want to be a more culturally sensitive, intelligent church, so let's just go help out uh, uh, in a poor neighborhood somewhere. Let's go help someone who's different from us. Ra says that's good, and that's part of the process. That's the external work that can be done. Let's do a... Uh, a training on institutional racism. That's great. But what he says is actually you need to go back and and do a self-diagnostic of who you are as a people, as a community. What are the internal judgments and biases you have? Best believe that God as the evangelist is going to challenge. He's going to hound you. That's what he did in my life, right? I already told you that. I began, I had this great ministry plan. I'm going to plant a church working in the communities of color, particularly African-Americans in the Central District. And yet the Lord brought more white people to my congregation initially. Now, I'm just going to keep it real. Don't get offended, okay? But I grew up, I didn't trust white people, right? My family is from Detroit. They grew up during the civil rights area and race riots. So all the things, the things they experienced, they passed on to the next generation, me, so I grew up, and I thought white people, they just always, you can't trust them. They, they oppress us. They have a history of oppression. And yet, I go into a denomination filled with white people. <laughs> I preach in white churches, and I still in the back of my head had this feeling that they must think that they're better than me or that I'm not as intelligent, right? And there's a rumor throughout the denomination that the reason why African-American church planners fail and our denomination is because white people have a hard time struggl- uh, following black leadership. I carried all of that in my mindset to st- I had to struggle with in my church planning uh, uh, tenure. And so here the Lord brings these wonderful people, Anglo, Teutonic, my Teutonic brothers, right? And, the, and we're all hanging out together doing great stuff, actually. But in my head, I'm constantly, okay. Do they trust me? Will they follow me? Do I trust them, right? Then God made it even harder because my presbytery said, hey, you know, there's an Indonesian congregation in North Seattle that uh, is looking for uh, a new place of mission and calling. And Jason, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind absorbing part of their congregation, which is about 60 Indonesian uh, students who are coming to school here from Jakarta and their, their parents. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> You're joking, right? I'm trying to reach a group of people that's being pushed out of their neighborhood, and my core group is mostly me and a few Anglo-American families, now you want me to take on an Indonesian congregation? Are you kidding me? And I said, Lord, you just keep hounding me to, ch- to, to face what I was raised with, because we grew up. Black and Chinese and black and Korean, black and Indonesian, we didn't, we didn't see eye to eye. We're, we're, our communities kind of were both oppressed, but we don't trust each other, okay? It's hot up here. Are you following me? Okay? All right? But God keeps hounding, hounding me and challenging me, right, to be a pastor to all these different cultures. And it was a crazy church. I essentially was pastoring an Indonesian church. My, my wife is there, my brother Sam, he was a part of the church. They know what I'm talking about. We did an Easter production. Sam's dressed up as Pontius Pilate. I'm playing the drums. And we got Indone- I mean, some of the students who were at characters, they didn't speak English really well. And so it was just crazy. Doing two services, one Indonesian speaking, one English. So the Lord was constantly hounding me. And I know that He's going to do the same for you. Who is that neighbor? That you have, or who is that person in your job whom you don't care for, who doesn't respect you, or who is that person from another culture that you go, oh, see that white people, see, (laughs) they always want to run stuff, they always telling me what to do, oh, see those Koreans, all right, (laughs) you know, do I have to fill in the blank for you? God is going to make a way for you to be hounded. I don't have to preach to you to convince you. Your neighbors. Get on your nerves. I know some of you here in this church in this church probably get on each other's last nerve. All right, don't look at them, okay? Keep eyes <laughs> eyes forward. But the point is, is that God is going to make it hard on us. He's going to hound us to make us the people that we're supposed to be. Peter doesn't want to go and minister to Gentiles. He's made that clear by his actions, and yet the Lord hounds him nonetheless. But he also does it, and he does it in a way that Peter has to be passive. He has to go and not hesitate. That's the third point. He says here, while he's standing there, uh, sitting on the roof, the Holy Spirit says, him, Peter, I've sent three people. They're looking for you. Verse 20, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go at them, for I have sent them. I love that. I love that. It's not just that the Lord hounds us to confront our biases. Then externally, as Ra talks about, about externally he tells us to go and not hesitate to be close go into close proximity even up into their living room right you'll see this as the story goes along he says here Peter went down and said to the men I'm the one you're looking for why have you come 22 the men replied we have come from Cornelius the centurion he is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people a holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. You and I, when we want to be about ministry and reconciliation, we like to set the terms, right? Let's just keep it real. We, we live in a culture where um, we understand that people of, of the dominant culture generally like to set the terms of ministry, right? They we're conditioned to expect that white people get the, the, the credit they get the, they they set the terms of discussion, even in some of my work in UGM, I'm trying to get the, the white pastors to come with me to go to African American churches, because as white pastors, they're just used to things, Just we just come to them, so actually, let's flip the, the privilege here, and you be passive, and hesitate, don't hesitate, and go, even into a place that's intimate, like a living room, I'm running short on time, so I'm not going to read read every verse here but Peter finds himself (coughs) he finds himself (coughs) in verse 28 going into Cornelius's living room he says you are well aware (coughs) that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile but God has shown me that I should not call, call anyone impure or unclean he goes into the living room he he basically um sullies himself he he defiles himself he breaks the law in order to to fulfill the law of christ he breaks his own traditions his own cultural expectations and goes into the live into the living room of cornelius and he does it and he doesn't hesitate recently i had pastors from capitol hill on a monthly basis we pray together about 12 to 15 congregations and i have pastors from Capitol Hill and the Central District come together, and one of the pastors from the Central District sat there, and I know that he's had struggles with white pastors. I know he has. He's told me, but he sat there, and he he opened himself up. He, def- he in a sense, broke custom and ta- and talked very openly about his own personal struggles to people who may think of him as an oddity or something exotic or something, someone not on par with them. He was so candid about his inner struggles that it, it, it caused us all to be super emotional and, and open with our own struggles as well. God calls us to not to hesitate and to go into places where we share stories. You should, as a congregation, be with Dearborn Park or with what whatever uh, context you have, creating places for there to be shared stories. It's only by hearing stories of people. That's what you're going to do next week, that you become aware of of each other's struggles and customs and, and values, and you let them rub up against each other. Peter defiles himself, goes into the living room, and he does it not on his own terms, but on God's terms. Finally is the lesson, the main thing. Verse 34 and 35 He hears Cornelius tells the story, and Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter was told this, and I think he understood the Old Testament that every nation will bow before the, the king, before Yahweh, but he wasn't living it out. God had to nudge him by the Holy Spirit to minister to Cornelius and to his household so that he might understand that every one of us, every one of us are equals. But the problem is, is we, we fall into the two different ways of excluding one another. I love how Miroslav Volf, he talks about different ways that we exclude one another. One is simply by assimilation. We say, oh, yeah, we'll minister to you, but you've got to come, and you've got to be like us, do what we do, Right? Then he says it's domination, and this has happened in a lot of our our, our, country's, uh, our country's history and uh, imperialism and colonialism. There's where one culture just says, you know what, these people are less than us. We need to enslave them. We need to dominate them. But then S- Wolf says also that there's also abandonment, and we are all guilty of that in the 20th and 21st century uh, American society. We... Huddle up with people like us and we abandon and are slow to listen to one another and to merge our churches or our cultures together. And so we abandon and we have we are ap- apathetic towards our neighbor. This is the way that you and I we avoid. We abandon. We say that we, we're equal but we don't behave that way because it's again a zero-sum game in our head. I need to Look out for my customs, my traditions, my family, my culture, because you know what? The white people are going to take it from us. No, it's not about that. It's not about the white people. It's not about the black people, the Chinese people, the Latino people. It's not about that. It's about that God, in his grace, welcomed you into his family, and he didn't just Welcome you into his family. He brought you along with people who are far off. Ephesians 2. He brought the far and the near, the Jew and the Gentile, the black and the white. He brought everyone, the Chinese and the Japanese. He brought them together and made them one man by the blood of his cross. How would the story end as I close? I'm freaking out because I want more lemon pie. And I can't find the pie. And I'm freaking out, and in my heart and in my, in my heart in my head, I'm like, man, I just I don't know, Lord, you got to help me because I, I am showing myself to be, you know a, not a very nice person over something trivial like lemon custard pie. And my wonderful wife, not uh, unbeknownst to me, had on the other side <laughs> of the barrier <laughs> in the refrigerator because I could never find things, had already made. Another pie. (laughs) God's grace and love to us is unlimited. There's always another pie. (laughs) Amen. I know you're giggling, okay? But God's resources and his love are unlimited. And he has poured it uh, down to us as sinners, saved by grace. How can we not share? How can we not give our lives? Jesus has called us to extend ourselves on behalf of the other. And he he will do it. He'll do it with you whether you're willing or whether you're kicking and screaming. He answers the prayer of the other, right? He hounds us to confront our inner biases. He calls us. He commands us to go and not hesitate. And he will teach us that we are not about giving a hand out or a hand up, but a hand across, as Ra talks about in his book, a hand across. The great divide that lies between us. Let's pray that the Lord break down those barriers in our hearts and physically in our communities. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this, for this time together. Lord Jesus, um, we thank you that you are the great uh, barrier breaker. Help us to follow suit and to realize that there's a death implicit in that, a death to our priorities, our terms, our, even our culture, even what we desire, Lord. Help us to surrender all of these things to you because you have saved us. As we sang earlier, your breath is in our our lungs. Our life is not our own. So we give it back to you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.